Our good Lord, we ask that you would speak to us through your word, that you would show us more clearly your son, and that you would give us new life by your spirit. It's in your name we pray. I always confess that I always feel a small amount of guilt when I ask people to do a living church uh, because I know I'm asking them to do a lot. Uh, not only am I asking them to get up front uh, of people uh, and speak for an extended period of time and just have people look back at them, uh, but I'm asking them to share some of the most personal parts of their lives and, and I'm asking them to do it with the belief that what they share, though it may cost them, will bless others tremendously. So again, thank you just for having the courage. And we know that that costs you. Um, so thank you for modeling Jesus and giving your life for our good. And thank you, Sean, for a few weeks ago for you sharing uh, if you're just now joining us at Resurrection, we've spent the past few weeks in this series on prayer where the Psalms, these ancient collection of prayers, have been really taking us by the hand, and they've been showing us what a life of faith looks like, what it looks like to live deeply in a life-giving relationship with God himself. And over the next few weeks, we're still going to be thinking about this topic of prayer and about what it means for our lives, but we're going to be shifting away from listening to the Psalms, and we're going to turn our attention to Jesus himself and to see how Jesus himself would guide us in a life of prayer and guide us in a close and life-giving relationship with God himself. And so here in our text this morning, we're, we're given a small glimpse into Jesus' life. This is going to be early on in his ministry. He's starting out of what's become a home base of Capernaum, and he hasn't even gathered all of his disciples together. He's just gathered a few of them to follow them, and he's just begun his teaching, his healing. He's just begun to show some of who he is and what he's come to do. And here's the picture that we are given early on in Jesus' ministry and in his work. And it's from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verses 35 through 39. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone's looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all of Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. This is the gospel of the Lord. <laughs> Here's our first lesson. Extended time with God is critical for a life of faith. Extended time with God is crucial, is necessary, is non-negotiable for a life of faith. And there are two ways we're going to see this this morning, and I'm going to focus on these two aspects. 
Extended time is with God is critical for our connection with him. And extended time in, in prayer is critical for clarity on what really matters. So extended time with God, prayer is critical for connection with God and clarity on what really matters. So first, connection. But all of us has, has days where it feels like we are just slammed with demands from the time we first wake up until the time we close our eyes at night. We're days where we feel like we're going just from one thing to the next nonstop, where it seems like everywhere we go, people need something from us. And everywhere we go, we're giving away so that when the day ends, there is nothing left in the tank. And we don't even want to think about what we have to do tomorrow and what is demanded of us and how we're going to walk through that. I think it's safe to say that, that Jesus had one of those days. It was a day that in the morning he went to the local synagogue where he not only attended and worshipped and people gathered around him, but it was one in which he preached and taught and answered questions and even cast out evil spirits. In the afternoon, he's going to Peter's mother-in-law's house, where there again, he's going to be with people. He's going to teach. He's going to heal his wife's mother. And afterwards, we see crowds coming to the house. Word spreads about Jesus, and people are bringing their sick. People are bringing their suffering. So much so that what we read earlier is that the whole city is gathered at the door. The picture you're getting here is there is one man in this house and the whole city is gathering around him saying, we need you, we need something from you. Demand after demand after demand. And finally the day ends. Everywhere he goes, he's being pulled on and everywhere he goes, he's giving up himself for others. So what does the next day look like for Jesus? Is it a kind of treat yourself day? Uh, sleeping in, binging? What, what, what would the next day look like for you? I think I know what it would look like for me. Verse 35. Rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Now, Mark, the, the author of this gospel, could have just easily said, Jesus rose early in the morning and prayed. But we're intentionally given more detail. He rose very early in the morning. He rose very early in the morning while it was still dark. He rose very early in the morning while it was still dark, and he went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. We're given more details than we really need because he's trying to communicate the lengths that Jesus is going to find extended time with his father. My wife Katie is a photographer, and so one of the things that she does to do is take pictures. And one of her favorite things to do on vacation is to take pictures specifically of sunsets. And in order to get this picture, 
Certain things have to happen. First of all, she has to make the decision the night before that I'm going to set my alarm and wake up on time so that I can get out at the right time when it is still dark to get this picture. I've got to map out where I want to go to find the perfect place that's going to get the full view to capture what I want to see. And then she has to actually go. you got to act. All the planning in the world can't actually make you get out of bed. At some point, you've got to get out of bed. You've got to get dressed. You've got to get in your car. You've got to drive. You've got to get out. You've got to get your camera equipment. You've got to walk to where it is. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of energy. And and when she does that, what is it that moves her to make all those arrangements and to go through all that effort? What is it that that drives her? You think it's a sense of guilt? You think it's a sense of obligation or duty? Uh, Is it the promise of money? Do you think it's fear? Do you think it's her husband who is still asleep in the bed? Beside her? What moves her and what gets her out of this bed is the desire to see you. The desire to partake in joy. The desire to have an experience with the source of life and to capture it in a way that it can be remembered and enjoyed and shared. Now I want you to think in light of that about the the prayer book that Jesus would have used, the the Psalms that we've been talking about and how they talk about what this time would have looked like. Psalm 63, oh God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there's no water. Psalm 16, you make known to me the path of life and in your presence there is Fullness of joy. Or Psalm 90, our Old Testament lesson that Jim read for us. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. Or lastly, Psalm 59, our call to worship. In the morning, I'm going to sing of your strength and love, for you are my fortress, my refuge in times of trouble. Jesus is not getting up early after an exhausting day to just clear his mind and just to enjoy the silence. He probably was doing some of that. But there is a deeper motivation to be with his father, to experience this kind of joy, to drink deeply himself from what are these living waters. And what we see is it's not just a one-time occurrence. We're going to see it over and over again. Matthew 14. After he dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Luke 5. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Luke 6. In these days, he went out to the mountain to pray. And all night, he continued in prayer to God. Luke 9, now about eight days after these sayings, he took Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain and prayed. Luke 11, now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples asked him, Lord, teach us how to pray. 
Finally, Luke 22, when his death is imminent. He came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him, and he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and A way of life. Jesus himself, Son of God, saying, I need to spend extended and slow and unhurried and deep and rich time with my Father. I have to. My life depends on it. One of my favorite pictures of this comes from the life of Susanna Wesley. If you're familiar with the Methodist Church, uh, her two boys, uh, John and Charles, were incredibly influential in that revival movement, spreading of the gospel, transformation of lives. Um, their mother had a hard life in many ways. Her husband and marriage left very much to be desired. She was the mother of eight, but she had experienced nine other children dying in infancy. Now, two of those were actually sets of twins. <clears throat> what kept her going? What helped her make such an impression on the life of her children and these two boys in particular that would launch a movement of grace around the world. She had a daily practice that would keep her connected to the greatness and goodness and grace of God. Every day she would go to her favorite chair. She would take her long apron and she would throw it over her head. And she called it the tent of meeting, like the Old Testament tabernacle. And when the tent was up, the kids knew you do not disturb mom. She is in the holy of holies. And it was this time every day underneath this tent, she would meet with God. She's not in a lonely, desolate place. She cannot get away from these kids. But she is saying, I must meet with my father. And later she would say this, we must know God experientially. For unless the heart perceives and knows him to be the supreme good or better than anything. Unless the heart perceives and knows him to be the supreme good and our only happiness. Unless the soul feels and acknowledges that we can have no rest, no peace, no joy, but in loving and being loved by him. What, is, what does prayer look like for you? Do you feel distant from God? What are you being called and invited and drawn into? It sounds like it is something much richer and deeper and more life-giving than what most of us live in day to day. Extended time with God is critical for our connection with God. This brings us to our second and final point, that extended time in prayer with God is critical for clarity on what really matters. So Jesus is, is quiet time with his father is broken up by his disciples. They seem to have woken up and noticed that he's missing. They form a search party. They go out to find him and it sounds like they had some difficulty 
locating him. And when they do find him, they seem a little frustrated. They let him know everyone is looking for you. And I I don't think that this is just them updating Jesus on the status of what the crowds are doing. I think under this is some undertones, maybe a question. What are you doing all out here by yourself? Why are you not in the town helping people? Why are you out here? There are needs back there. There are people back there. You're leaving us hanging. This is where the work is, where the people are, not out here in this desolate wilderness place all by yourself doing whatever you think is important. We've got a kingdom. We've got a movement. This is where the action is. Let's go. In other words, Jesus has in his ear early in the morning different voices speaking to him, telling him what matters and what's really important and what he should be doing with his life. Think about where we are in human history. At this point, it's safe to say that we have more voices speaking into our lives and into lives of our family and friends and children than ever before. Television, music, magazines, podcasts, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, online gaming. And then you have all the traditional voices of family and friends and neighbors, coworkers, local communities. All of these are voices that are speaking, saying, this is what's true. This is what's good. This is what you should look at and give your attention to. This is what you should love. This is what is beautiful. This is what really matters in life. Voice after voice speaking into this, forming what you could say in a tidal wave of voices coming at us, drowning out what we need to hear more than And during his struggle, his six-year struggle with cancer, Brent would often talk with me about this this tension between what he would call the big C and the little C. The little C being cancer and the big C being Christ. And for him, he always had this sense that the little C was trying to take over his life. Doctors. Reports, scans, websites, voices. It was all of these different voices trying to say that cancer is the biggest story in your world. And he would always push back on that. He did not want his cancer to define him. He wanted the big C, Christ. This is my identity. This is my joy. This is what defines every other thing in my life. It makes me think of the struggle C.S. Lewis talks about in his book, Mere Christianity. He says the real problem of the Christian life comes when people do not usually look for it. It comes the very moment you wake up each morning. All your wishes and hopes for the day rush at you like wild animals. And the first job each morning consists simply in shoving them all back. Listening to that other voice, taking that other point of view, letting that other larger, stronger, quieter life 
come flowing in. The reason why Jesus got up very early, while it was still dark, and went to a desolate and lonely place to pray, was to be able to listen to that larger, stronger, quieter voice and to let it flow in his life, reminding him of who he is and what is good and beautiful and true and what his life is to be about. To maintain clarity about his mission, about his identity, and about what really matters. And we see this in his response. Remember, the disciples are coming in and saying, everyone's looking for you. Basically, let's go. And he doesn't say, you're right, uh, I'm sorry to leave you hanging. I should be back there. Let's go. What does he say to them in verse 38? He said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why There are these other voices chirping in his ear saying, this is what you should be doing. And he says, I have heard from my father. I've gotten clarity. There is a bigger mission that I have been called to. Earlier in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus tells us what is really most important in his life. He says, the time has come. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. He has come to announce that God is doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves, that the king has come and he is bringing his kingdom with him, and that there is an invitation to return, to repent and believe in this message, this good news. This is not the last time that his disciples are going to try to give Jesus a different agenda. It's not the last time they're going to push back on him and try to convince him that he should be doing something else. Towards the end of his ministry, he begins to open up to his disciples the real reason for his coming, that it's not just to teach and to heal, but it's actually to suffer and die and rise again. That, that that is going to be at the heart of this good news and the centerpiece of God's salvation work. But as he begins to tell these closest followers about this mission, do you remember how they respond? Later on in the gospel, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and that he must be killed. And on the third day, be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of God. Every time I read that, I cringe because Jesus speaks so strongly to Peter. But then I remember that Jesus speaks this way because he knows what is at stake. He knows that if he does not 
choose the way of the cross, if he does not choose the way of pain and suffering and loss and shame, if he does not choose the way of of taking the guilt of his people squarely upon his shoulders and absorbing wrath himself, that the people are without any lasting hope. It doesn't matter how many people that he cures and heals and helps, that only his life and his death, his resurrection, can reboot the system and transform this world. Yes, Jesus gives us an example to follow. A teacher, someone that we can look at and and not only admire, but also emulate. But it's not just that. What he is doing is so much more. I want you to think about him in this desolate place, early in the morning, by himself, pleading with his father, not so much as a teacher giving you a model to follow, but as a warrior who is fighting a battle with all that he has for you and for your salvation. That he is out there doing all that he can and all that you cannot do. Prayer is not a ladder. I'm going to end with this. Prayer is not a ladder that we simply climb up high enough and far enough to be with God. Remember, Jesus is God's descent to us. The links that he will go to be with us, and prayer is our response to that. Prayer is a response to the one who has descended far below and who has given everything for us and for our salvation. And so the question I want to leave you with is what will your time with this God be like this week? What do you want it to be? What do you think it will be? What voices do you anticipate coming in? What voices will you listen to? What will your life be about? What will connection and clarity be for you? Jesus shows us the better way, and Jesus is the better way. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you when we look at all you have done with the goal of bringing us back to yourself. We thank you for Jesus as not only our model, but as our warrior fighting for us, dying for us, rising for us. There are so many barriers to to us slowing down and spending unhurried time with you in the word and prayer by ourselves and with others. We ask that you would break those barriers down and give us a sense of urgency, a sense of resolve, not one that is grounded in our own efforts and strength, but one that flows out of a dependence on you for life itself. And it's in your name we pray.